We will begin in John 16 in just a moment. When I look at a lesson like what uh, I try to present today, I, my biggest fear is uh, standing up here and teaching is that it uh, falls short of what it should be. You know, so we're going to talk about overcoming the world. Um, and again, that's my biggest fear is that uh, I don't do a topic like this justice from standing up here, but we'll let the Word uh, speak to us and think through these things together. I actually, uh, earlier this week, a friend and me and a friend of mine were texting uh, back and forth, and he, he said something that just kind of I hadn't really thought of in exactly um, this way, and just had had me kind of thinking. So I wanted to share those thoughts with you that that he kind of spurred in my mind uh, earlier this week. So the thing he said was, uh, we are spiritual men and women having a physical experience. This world is just something to be overcome, just like Jesus overcame it as our model. So Jesus overcoming the world uh, and him overcoming it being our model. And I don't guess I'd ever really thought about the idea that we are to we are to overcome the world just like Jesus did. So let's think through these things together this morning. If you look at John sixteen and verse thirty three, Jesus says there, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so at least in my mind the question is is well, how did Jesus overcome the world? What does that mean? What's that look like uh, when Jesus says that? What, what, is, what is the point that he's making that he has overcome the world? I think if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we get an idea. Uh, you know, If you think about overcoming something, uh, having victory maybe in something, you know, the song we just sang uh, about victory, our faith overcomes the world. Uh, but, you know, first of all, looking at Jesus as our example for overcoming the world, how did he do that? What, it, what is entailed in that? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be made subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Let's go back to verse 21. For since by, by man came death, uh, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die. So that's, he, he's talking in spiritual terms there, for since by man comes death. Well, originally, if you, and again, think back to Romans 5, uh, death entered the world through Adam. All right, uh, and then he's saying, verse twenty-one: By man also came the resurrection of the dead. So, uh, and then in verse twenty-two: Even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. So, 
uh, you know, you have this idea of spiritual death and spiritual life. You know, uh, and here it's representative of Adam and Jesus. All right. Well, you know, think back to Jesus overcoming the world. He overcame death. He he conquered death. Uh, the last enemy here, he tells us that he that he will destroy is death. And so, you know, if you think about it, uh, death being representative of Satan uh, and Jesus overcoming Satan. You know, and I think back to Jesus. You know, if you just kind of look at his life in a, a little bit, you know, Jesus was tempted by the devil. He overcame that, and of course, he overcame death by being raised, raised on the third day. And again, if you think about the context of First Corinthians 15, uh, this idea of our hope being in the resurrection. Uh, if there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. Uh, if the dead do not rise, all right. That's that's what Paul's kind of point is in First Corinthians 15, and so. Again, you think back um, or think about uh, our life and how if, if Christ is our example of overcoming the world, well, what does that look like for us? Well, we're to overcome Satan. Um, we talked in our class on Wednesday night in First Peter. Uh, we were talking about uh, Satan, and this verse got brought up, First Peter 5, beginning in verse 8. Be sober, be, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's looking to devour us. Uh, that's, what he, that's what he is looking to do every day. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And so, uh, you know, the devil's mission all day, every day, is trying to devour uh, the faithful. He's seeking whom he may devour. He, he's, he's striving... Uh, all day, every day, to try to take us down, to try to uh, tempt us, to try to uh, make us uh, essentially slaves of his, slaves of his. All right, and we know that um, you know once uh, Christ overcame the devil, he overcame death, and so we are supposed to overcome the devil, so that we can overcome death, overcome sin. That is our, our mission. <clears throat> Go to 1 John 4. First John chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 1. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you now have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so, if you th- I think, okay, well, if I'm to overcome the world, how is this to happen? How am I to... Uh, looking back at Jesus as our model, how am I supposed to follow that and how am I supposed to overcome the world as he overcame the world? Well, he tells us here, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Of course, he's talking about the spirits above. But how? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so if I'm going to overcome the world, I've got to have him, that being Jesus, he has to be in me. Uh, He who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. All right? So I have to adopt Jesus. Jesus has to be a part of my life if I expect to overcome 
uh, overcome the world, overcome death, overcome sin. Uh, Jesus has to be a part of my life. First John 5. First John 5 and in verse 4. I'm going to read the uh, first part of that. First John 5 and in verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And again, so we have to have we have to be of God. We have to be born of God. Uh, you think back to Jesus telling us uh, in the Gospels that we have to be born again. We have to um, have have Jesus uh, the center of who we are. We have to take on that new life. We have to put on that new man that's talked about in Scripture so many times. Uh, casting off the old man, putting on the new man, taking on those things of spiritual nature. Another thing I think that we have to do is not look back. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This is the chapter where uh, Stephen preaches this, this sermon here. He's going all the way back into the Old Testament. Of course, he's talking to the, to the Jews there. He goes back through the Old Testament uh, and preaches this sermon about Jesus. Let's begin there in verse 37. Acts chapter 7 and verse 37. This is what Moses, who said to the children of Israel, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, And as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. So Stephen is trying to bring them back to these events with Moses. Well, I want us to really focus on uh, verse 39. Whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. All right, so they've been delivered out of Egypt. So let's go back. All right, they're slaves in Egypt. They're under bondage uh, of the Egyptians. There, uh, <clears throat> they see the plagues. They part. Uh, Moses parts the sea. They cross on dry ground. The Egyptian army gets swallowed up in the sea. All right, uh, they get to Mount Sinai. What takes place there? They got the thunderings, and I don't know if y'all recall. They're they're fearful. They tell Moses, "You go up." They see all these things happen around them, and if I've got my timeline correct, it's about four to five months from the time they left Egypt to the time they build the calf. Uh, forget what chapter it was. I was reading through this last night, but it was in Exodus. It says it was three months, and then Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights, so four to five months. All right. It's kind of spectacular to me to think to kind of think through that to think of all the things they saw all the things that transpired and yet they give uh, Aaron the gold he builds the golden calf and they're worshiping the calf as if they were back in Egypt with those guys that were in Egypt all right so they've and here 
and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. So it wasn't it was all the way deep down with them they decided to do this. Their hearts moved all the way back to Egypt and they're wanting to serve those gods. Uh, they want to go back back to those things uh, that were in Egypt. Um, and I guess before we're before I'm too hard on them or we're too hard on them, you know, uh, I guess we can think about our own lives. And when I when I look at this story, I think about the the strong allure of sin that it it, it pulls at us. The things uh, that were in our old life, the things that we that that Jesus brought us out of, there's still a strong allure. This world's around us every day. We can't help but see the things that we see and hear the things that we hear uh, and uh, that temptation to go back, that temptation for us to be in the same boat they're in, the temptation for our hearts to turn back to the world, not turn back to Egypt as they did here, but turn back to the world. I think that's strong, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter uh, what we're talking about, what our, you know, what tempts us. Uh, it could be, you know, some kind of a drug addiction or maintaining um, some kind of status, money, um, some hobby that we have. There's always that 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 pull at us, that or maybe that pull at our hearts. We may say to go back, to go back to the things that uh, we we overcome in Jesus. So if we overcome them, but we're, our hearts are looking to go back, and that allure of it, and how strong that it is and I don't think any of us are immune uh, to that and, and to some level having our hearts pulled away uh, as as they did in the wilderness as they did after they saw these great events and you know and we're told we're certainly told in the New Testament that you know what we have is so much greater than what they had and so uh, us looking back you know you think well they saw all these things you know <laughs> that's that's crazy but we've got all this. We've got the story. We've got the evidence in front of us. We, we've got uh, the mysteries revealed that they didn't have revealed, yet we're pulled in the same ways. And again, I think we have to, if we're going to overcome this world, we have to figure out how to not be brought back. We have to figure out how to not let our hearts be pulled back to the world, be pulled back uh, to those things that we have overcome. And as you might expect, we, uh, by the singing of those songs, we would talk about over uh, what John says in John chapter 5 and in verse 4 about our faith overcoming the world. 1 John 5 and in verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so here you have in, in verse 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. And what is that? It's our faith. All right. So our faith uh, helps us conquer the world. I don't know about you, but I think, well, what exactly all is entailed in that? All right. So uh, I think there's a lot. I don't think I'm probably going to uh, encompass or be comprehensive in what you may uh, what you may think all that is, but I certainly think back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eleven. Um, when I think about 
Uh, anytime I think about faith, I, I typically think back to that chapter. Uh, so I'd like to read some of that and think through what maybe John means by this, our faith overcoming the world. Of course, we've already seen that you know Jesus has to be a part of our life to overcome the world, so I certainly think that's uh, a piece of... Uh, you know, us overcoming the world is because we uh, put him on through faith. But let's go to Hebrews 11 and start in verse 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the world's refrained by the word of God, so that the things which are, are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so here, you know, he's telling us, you know, what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Jonathan talked about this a little bit on Friday night, uh, you know, this idea that we weren't at creation. So it takes faith to believe in those things. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's believing in things that we cannot see or that we did not see. How, how does uh, the Hebrew writer talk about uh, the faithful? Let's start in verse 8. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child, when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable, as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so, you know, when I look at this, you see, especially in verse 13 through 16, that they their faith uh, had them thinking about uh, their faith led to hope, and their hope had them thinking about the, the next country, the heavenly country. Uh, he says there in verse verse 16, And now they desire a better that is a heavenly country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. And so they were thinking of the home to come. They weren't dwelling on the things here. Their faith, uh, they knew that God was good for His promises. He promised them a heavenly country. They believed it. And so therefore it changed their lives, their whole lives. The whole time they were here, it changed how they lived, how they thought about the things of this world, uh, the decisions that they made. It changed the rest of their life. And so if I think about uh, you know, this idea of how does our faith overcome the world, well, we're to overcome the devil, we're to overcome sin, and therefore our faith helps us do that. Our faith helps us change our mindset about anything that happens in our life we're trusting in God and His promises, and so therefore we know that He's going to fulfill His promises. Therefore, uh, we're looking for something better. We're looking for that heavenly country just as they were. We do the things that He tells us to do here, and we know that there's a, a reward in the end that's better uh, than we can even imagine. And so 
Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians fifteen, beginning in verse fifty. First Corinthians fifteen and in verse fifty. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption, corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so, if you recall what we talked about in verse 20 through 28, you know, this idea of, of Jesus uh, overcoming death, uh, overcoming the death uh, that came through Adam. He says in verse 55 again, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your corruption? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the the final victory that we have is through Him. Uh, Again, this idea of overcoming the world, using Jesus as our example. How are we uh, to do that? What What is all entailed in that? It's only through Jesus. That is the only way that we have victory. That is the only way that we can overcome this world is through Him and with Him. Uh, And of course, in the end, we're going to have victory with Him. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Alright, and so you see there in verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my people. If you think think back to what you know about the, the churches there uh, in the beginning of Reve- Revelation. Uh, I think, I'm pretty positive in, in every single one of them, he says, He who overcomes shall inherit the kingdom. You know, So that there's this victory, or there's this uh, inheritance, uh, this idea of eternal an eternal home to those that overcome. That's all throughout Scripture. That we will be given if we overcome the world, we will be giving be given 
uh, an inheritance is what is the way he phrases it here. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. All right. So we know that heaven is awaiting for those that overcome. Uh, and as he's put it here, if you look at verse eight, he says, "But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death." And so he's he's telling us there, there's two options: you can overcome and inherit all things. Or either there's there's this place set apart uh, for those uh, that don't overcome. That's going to be a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. I was burning a pile out at our place. Me, you know, we've been clearing land out there, and uh, we've been just picking up sticks and burning these piles. And we had a pretty good sized pile burning the other day. And I, these these passages about hell. And this idea of this lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Uh, I got real close to one of those piles the other day. And I, I actually took a picture of it. And I get—I wish I'd have put it on PowerPoint. But that that pile was burning. It was like it was nothing but uh, all the, uh, the internals of it. Not, not coal, but uh, mm, it's escaping me. The, it's, it's, it's orange. It's an orange glowing hot. And you couldn't you couldn't get close to it. I was trying to throw some more stuff up there, and I was doing like that right there, just trying to get close enough to you know to throw some more stuff. It was just singeing the side of my face. And finally I just said, well, whatever, we'll just have to wait till this is over. And I you know, you think where where Jesus talks back to the where the worm does not die, that it's gonna be this eternal punishment. I don't know. That I thought about that in that moment that I do not want to be a part of that. Because I'm telling you, just that, just those few moments of me trying to throw some more stuff on the pile, it's just burning my face, singeing the hair on my arm. And I'm not even in the fire. But that's what it's going to be like for those that don't, don't overcome. There's going to be uh, eternity of that kind of pain, of the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And I don't know about you, but I don't, want, I don't want to experience that for all of eternity. I want to overcome in Him. I want to overcome as He overcame. And again, we can only do that through Him. So as we close out today, I guess that would be what I would leave you with is you know, as, we, as we go about our everyday, uh, as we go about living in this world, let's not let our hearts be pulled back into the world as those did as they left Egypt. Let's not, let's not do that. But let's let our faith uh, overcome the world. If there's any need by anyone here, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.